Welcome to MGO Radio 9 point 13? 14. 14. 14. We did, yeah, we did a recruiting podcast in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, it got me mixed up. Michigan plays Alabama in the granddaddy of them all on New Year's Day. Almost like God intended. <laughs> it was, it, was it God's intention or somebody else's intention? Well, we'll see. So Michigan, there's a really interesting gap between the Vegas line, which is Michigan minus one and a half, and the SP plus line, which is Michigan minus nine, hmm. which just does not happen these days. Um, Vegas has cottoned on to the fact that SP plus is a pretty good metric, and there's a lot of other analytics out there that more or less come to the same conclusions. And these days, it's very rare to find a line that deviates from the fancy stats spread by more than a couple of points. And usually, if that does happen, what you have is you have opt-outs or you have injuries or you just have a lot of other factors that these stat things can't take into account. Not the case here. Um, Michigan did lose Zach Zinner, but Zach Zinner is not worth a touchdown uh, on the line. No offense to Mr. Zinner. Uh, So part of this is Vegas has staked out a, uh, a position here because approximately 80% of the money from the public is on Bama. And the line had moved from two and a half when it opened to one and a half now. So you have a situation where Michigan should feel pretty confident based on what everybody has done this season. But because it's Bama, because they beat Georgia, everybody is projecting that Alabama is going to win this game, which uh, you can see in the Bruce Feldman anonymous quotes articles that people get uh, riled up about <clears throat> oh. like Bruce like, <laughs> I, I mean people get riled up about the the truth sometimes but it was the there was some nastiness in that one not well that included the, the I don't care what they were picking Bama I was I, there was some rallying well, up they're, they're still <laughs> on like the science thing and then yeah. like it came out that Alabama was not letting their players watch film on their iPads because right. of Michigan's tomfoolery like like michigan's gonna hack in to some kid's ipad to watch film of michigan <laughs> what are we doing here all right well i think it was a it was a um but why are they it can't be for real so why are they really doing it it can't I mean, be really just, like a i don't know is it a press thing uh, is it a but, so I think I think that also drives sort of the disparity of the line is like oh people are like oh Michigan got a twenty one point advantage from this sign stuff and it just doesn't go away and you bring in this whole like new group of casual betters when you get to a big event like a college football playoff semifinal mm-hmm. so just the vibes around this game have have been very annoying for me because they're talking like the number one team in the country does not have a chance in this game like the <laughs> SEC coach quote article from Feldman was just like oh yeah. Michigan's going to struggle. And I'm just like, dude, this is a team that beat Arkansas by three points. That needed one of the biggest escapes of all time to not lose to a 7-5 and five Auburn team. That beat Texas A&M by six points. Like, this is not a team that has just blown out everybody they've played. They've shown a lot of flaws. They have a lot of talent. But I don't, I'm not going into this game being like, oh, no, it's Bama. Except when it comes to their secondary. That is... That's pretty bad. Oh no, it's Bama. Yeah. Um, well, but... they asked they asked Feldman about it, and he said that he thinks that a lot of the coaches, especially the Big Ten coaches, really only watch the Georgia game, and are basing it entirely off of like Georgia hasn't lost a game until forever, and until like right. until this one, and then they beat Georgia, they must be that good. And there's always a factor that Saban knows how to prepare for a game. He is meticulous. He is. I mean, Harbaugh knows how to prepare for a game, too. But if you want to, like, rank coaches out there, I don't think there's a big argument that Nick Saban is the best coach in college football. No, uh, but his team is is not quite a, a vintage Bama team, and I think I showed they showed that all year. Let's start with the Alabama offense, which is headlined by Jalen Milrow, um, sort of an explodes-in-all-directions type quarterback who's terrifyingly athletic but still very raw as a passer, Alex. Yeah, he's... Uh quite a mixed bag as a player, I guess you could say. There's moments of great brilliance and also a lot of concerning moments as well that are mixed in there. And it's going to be on Michigan to produce those ex- concerning moments and exploit them. Um, but 
it starts with the rushing game, and he is a tremendous rusher. And that's got to be the, the start of the game plan to me for Michigan is how are we going to defend Jalen Milrow? How are we going to prevent him from scrambling all over us? Because if you let him do that, he will gladly do it. So one thing is that Milrow only had about five designed attempts per game this year. He had 140 rushes, but only 63 of those were designed. Another 50 were scrambles, and the rest were sacks. So this is a guy who <clears throat> will sit in the pocket, will try to find someone downfield, and will often go down as a result of it. Um, he's 13th in the power five in terms of pressures, percent of pressures charged to him by pro football focus. The caveat to that stat is that half the guys in front of him in that stat are Bo Nix, Mike Penix, Caleb Williams, Drake May. So this is a stat that seems to have absolutely no bearing on how good you are as a quarterback. But uh, I think it is indicative of a guy who is not quite there in terms of knowing what to do at all times. So, you know, he threw a couple picks against Texas, got benched, came back, and the offense had simplified. And he can get away with it because for the same reason that Denard got away with it, right? Because you have to dedicate resources on your defense to spying this guy. Now, if it's fourth and 31, I wouldn't rush one guy. <laughs> I'd have two guys spying. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. But Michigan is going to have to account for that. Maybe. I, I think they should. Well, so the one thing that I would say is that Milrow is extremely escapable, and if you have defensive tackles who are stuck at the line of scrimmage and there's going to be big gaps in your front because of your rush, then, yeah, I think you do. Michigan has been a little bit different this year. They get a lot of pressure up the middle. They have a lot of stunts that are very effective. I might, if I was Jesse Minner, not do it. And you know you're going to get got on a couple of scrambles. That's just going to happen. But when you are able to keep your rush lanes and you're able to dedicate seven guys in coverage, I just don't know if Milrow is going to be able to decipher that, especially after we heard from Marvin Harrison that he just saw a blizzard of coverages like he had never seen before. So I think there's, there's a case for Michigan to kind of go off script here on defense. Uh, I don't know. I mean, how much you want yeah. to have tackles chasing him around in the backfield and how much do you want to well, just kind of mosh rush him like they, they we've seen them no they, you got to get after you got you yeah. got to get after him i mean there's there's no like if you let him sit back and just sit there all day he's accurate enough when not pressured he has another one of those kyle mccord like pressured versus not pressured splits on pff mm-hmm. where he's like an 85 when he's not pressured and he's like a 40 when he is pressured so the, you can't get mush rush him you can't you can't pull the Sean Clifford on him. They've got a couple of guys who can get downfield in Burton and uh, Bond. And I'm willing to eat Jalen Milrow breaking contain a couple of times if they are correspondingly getting after him. I just don't think you can sit back. Alex? I guess it depends on your confidence in your coverage because Georgia, uh, by and large, used uh, three to four rushers and one to two spies and they didn't get a ton of pressure on him but they held him to 55 percent completion and he didn't really rip georgia apart uh, through the passing game and if you feel confident about mixing your coverages then i don't know how necessary it is to get uh pressure versus the taking away the scramble because georgia did manage to take away a scramble and uh, the passing game was so so through the air, but it had its moments and then had some lesser moments. It just kind of depends on how much you trust your coverage versus how concerned you are about about the scramble. Georgia certainly built their game plan around taking away the scramble first and then dealing with the pass defense sort of after that. And, and that is sort of the hierarchy of how you devise a game plan against this guy. So their skill position players are good but I'd say they're a step down from what you usually expect from Bama. They just had a first-round tailback. They've had a series of wide receivers that have gone very early in the draft. Their running backs are good. They're not bad players. They're solid players. Their wide receivers, I like Burton a lot, but they just don't have you know, a Jamison Williams or a Brock Bowers or a, just a guy who's an obvious All-American at any of their skill position spots. 
Yeah, I mean, if you turn back the clock to the last time that we saw Bama in a bowl game, it's a bit night and day. Uh, you remember that Bama team from 2019-2020? They had a, two or three first-round receivers on that team. I mean, they had a run there of Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith and, um, you know, Jamison Williams and Jerry Judy and all these guys. And, and this year, it's not quite the same. Um, Jermaine Burton is a really good player. Uh, but not seen in that first-round mold necessarily. Isaiah Bond's also a good player. They don't really have a third receiver they love. And yeah, running back, Jace McClellan, who looks like he's going to play, also a good player, but not quite Derrick Henry and Najee Harris and Mark Ingram. And, and so it's just a, a one little cut below that. But don't write off the wide receivers, but it's also not Marvin Harrison level, which yeah. is something that they have had, been close to in the past. <laughs> They've... um. They, if you read their boards, they blame losing Gaddis. They're like, oh, you know, Michigan wasted our great receiver recruiter because that's what he was for them. He was a fantastic wide receiver recruiter. Uh, he wasn't there very long, but like helped him pull in some of those guys. And then he was the next a pretty good well. wide receiver recruiter here too. Yeah. Like if so he just, <laughs> he just doesn't Peter principle himself. He might be the best wide receiver coach in America. Sure. <clears throat> um, but I mean, the, now that the generation that Gaddis recruited is gone. You know, as Alex mentioned, those guys are in the NFL now, and Jermaine Burton is a transfer from Georgia because he was like the third receiver for Georgia. Uh, he's a very good receiver. I think he should be a number one, probably be number one on Michigan's team, but Georgia's stacked. Um, and Isaiah Bond, you know, he's another top 250 guy, but he's, you know, a Carmelo English type of recruit. Like, he was not a um, – these aren't guys who are going to, you know, what you would think that Alabama would recruit. And they're really not using – their third receiver much. They rather go to like three tight ends more than three receivers. And the the tight ends are kind of they're just guys. Like not yeah. there's not one of them who really stands out as a as a big receiving threat. Their blocking is kind of indifferent. Like they're also I, really typecast. They've got one that's a blocker, one that's a catcher, and one that can kind of do both, but not really well. Right. <laughs> they have Robbie Outs, who's the the blocker. He has like two catches on the year. They've got Amari Nyblack, who's Basically, Devin Funchess just like never really uh, plays a traditional tight end role. And then you got CJ Dupree, who we saw at Maryland. <laughs> They're starting yeah. uh, tight end as a Maryland transfer, and he's not particularly great in any real way. So I think you and I have concern. signed him four times now because he was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's been around for a while. Our, uh, and then the Bama offensive line, uh, very big boys, high recruits, big time. Stars everywhere. They are starting a true freshman, Caden Proctor, at left tackle. Um, he is responsible for a third of the pressures that Alabama has suffered this year. So a, a spot where Michigan, I'm sure, will try to attack. Um, <clears throat> and then the rest of the line, you know, I don't know. I haven't gone over all the games like you have, Alex. And the pro football focus grading is pretty middling. Like there's a couple of guys that they like and a couple of guys they don't like, but again, like the run blocking stuff on Pro Football Focus is probably the weakest part of their grading. So, what was your take on the Bama offensive line? Well, it that is the one part of this team that's improved quite a bit this season, and I think early in the year it was creakier than it is now. Uh, there's still some vulnerabilities, but they were real rough to start the year. Um, Caden Proctor at left tackle. That's a guy Michigan recruited, by the way, and. Um, Ends up going to Bama, gets to start as a as a freshman. He's gotten better as the years gone along, but that's still an area to exploit. And I assume a lot of heat will be coming on the left side of that line because it's him and then a true sophomore, Tyler Booker at left guard. Whereas on the other side of the line, you've got J.C. Latham, who's a projected first round pick at right tackle. So definitely, left side of the line will will be a focus more than the right side. And then you have to talk about the center, Seth McLaughlin, who's had some major issues blocking this season and also has had some major issues snapping this mm -hmm. season. And that has been a recurring theme for this Bama team. And it may not end in disaster in this game. It normally doesn't, although it did against Auburn, where they had that minus 15-yard snap fiasco that led to the Hail Mary uh, play that rescued them. But there will probably be three to four snaps in this game that are too early or too low or too high. It, it may not kill the whole play, but it throws the rhythm off. And it's been this problem they've had all season. Yeah, it's been remarkable. I was watching that Auburn game and every snap was low. And I'm like, <laughs> well, that's a low snap. That's, and then it just kept happening. It was, it was just the snap. So 
Yeah, they've got a lot of talent, obviously. They haven't put it all together, and they're going up a Michigan against the Michigan defense that is very deep, we won't get worn down, and has enough coverage tricks that I think you're going to see Milrow get into situations where he's throwing into coverage. Like, nobody who's played Michigan has avoided that, including uh, Kyle McCord. And this seems like a, a defense that is poised to set themselves up for big plays. Now they have to take advantage of it. Like, if they drop an interception, that's the end of the world. Now, that hasn't happened this year for the most part. So, but the, uh, I mean, for me, I want to, I want to blitz a lot. And if I've got four guys, they're all Russian. And if I got five guys, they're all Russian. And yes, they're all Russian. You're going <laughs> to play zone behind it. And, and you're going to try to mitigate the, the scrambles that are going to happen. But I just don't want to dedicate resources to preventing Jalen Miller from scrambling when that doesn't always work anyway. Like you can put a spy back there and he's not going to clean it up half the time because Milrow's so athletic. So for me, I think spying is a mugs game and I would not do it. I mean, do you want Braden McGregor trying to chase him down on the edge there? Because he's well, not. I'm, I'm, what yeah. you want is you want to push the pocket from the interior. Yes. You want a team rush. And Michigan has been excellent at that this year. They don't have a one star. They don't have one star edge who's going around and speed rushing and then leaving a big gap if he doesn't get there. Michigan has not done that this year. They have used a lot of good stunts. They have used Mason Graham. They have they have Jalen Harrell diving inside against Ohio State. The kind of stuff that they do, I think, is well-suited to defend a guy like Milrow without deviating from their game plan. Like, I think they can run their defense. Okay. Now, do you think – now, you know, we mentioned Robbie Outs and C.J. Dupree, and, like, they have, they're going to run three – Outs is more of a fullback, really. Um but, like, if they are going big personnel, do you want Michigan in their 5-2? Or do you think they should just stick in yeah. their nickel? And Well, no, because if they go 5, like, if Bama goes big, you win that personnel matchup, right? Because they're bringing on Robbie Outs, and you're mm-hmm. bringing on Kenneth Grant. Yeah. Like, that, that situation is good for Michigan. And you still have guys like Barrett and Colson on the back end, so that if someone does get loose... Like Michigan does not have tough Borland out there at linebacker. Mm-hmm. They have guys who can move, and I, I feel like just just play play your game. You know, you got to have you know some adjustments based on who you are playing. But for me, I don't I don't want to lay back. I want to because if you get to him, he will he will get sacked. Like he's not going to escape everything. And then once they're behind the chains. You know, it's not he's not a guy who's going to convert a third and 15 very often because he just doesn't have that sort of ability to read seven man passing defenses very well yet. So for me, for Michigan, it's about getting Bama off schedule. That means getting after. Ah. Well, one thing about Milrow, too, is that he is susceptible to the minus 15 yard sack there. That is definitely a thing. If you are pressuring him, he, he. Uh, he had one sack against Georgia where they were in field goal range and, and he sacks himself out of field goal range in part because his instinctive thing is not to go down. It's to start trying to scramble and that's right. going to start with him trying to roll and then might run backwards. So you can definitely crack open a big play in that way. The other thing for Bama I thought is the game against Georgia was interesting because they have, I think, 11 drives in that game and they had five three and outs and uh, Georgia was able to get them caught in the muck a lot in that game and then they just had three drives where they really had the momentum and for me when i look at those drives it was their offensive line being able to to punish georgia's defensive front now part of that is georgia doesn't have the defensive fronts they had in the past but if michigan can win those battles up front in in a way that was better than what georgia could do and then you're putting milrow in the third and longs that's the the pathway to really having a lot of success in this game yeah, and I guess I would I would say that you know there should be some deviation from what Michigan's done all year, right? Because Michigan played the whole year to with their Ohio State defense, mm-hmm. where we're going to have six guys in the box, and you're going to be able to run a little bit on first down, and then we're going to stuff it up. I think that they should have another guy in the box. I think they should be plus one in the box in this game, but I don't think they should be spying. So, like, because I. If you get them in passing downs, then it gets difficult for them. Um, so I, I feel like 
Michigan's in a decent spot because a lot of that wearing down at the end of the Georgia game happened because Georgia kind of got worn out on defense. I don't think that's going to happen to this defense because they have nine guys they can play on the defensive line. Yeah. Eight and a half. <laughs> well, in fairness to Georgia's defense, too, I mean, they there was a dropped interception. There was a, a pass interference that could have been an interception if he just turned his head around and found the ball early because it was uh, when Milrow shorted it to, to Burton. Um, and then there was also a drop on fourth and four that they, you know, they didn't review and they, and Alabama then scored on the next play. So, I mean, the performance that you see in the score was like the maximum that Alabama could have gotten for that performance. It was like a 300 yard game. They, I think yeah. only moved the ball on two drives or three drives. Um, and the rest of them, they were three and outs. Well, and there was a touchdown in there on a wheel route that Georgia just didn't cover. Yeah, and that that was that was a that was a passing down too, and yeah, the blown coverages are. are, I mean, Michigan has not done this all year, and that's like the number one thing they have to avoid because if the coverage isn't completely blown, Milrow will give you a chance some of the time. Like, just got to have a guy in the parking lot, and you might be able to to repair a bad coverage, but not a busted coverage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that wheel route was uh, Raylan Wilson. Our old uh, yeah. linebacker, commit friend, a true freshman. I mean, that was that was Georgia's equivalent of the Jimmy Rolder two plays against Ohio State. Like they got caught <laughs> out there. <laughs> yeah, and he got All caught right, up well, in, uh, in. Yeah, we're gonna take a break. Come back and talk about the other side of the ball. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Ufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, or trying to collect sizes and payment for a family reunion, UGP is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with our easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing down people to pay, or wasting time trying to sort out the order. We'll set it up and you can just sit back and relax. We can even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit us at any of our convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, founder and president of Peak Wealth Management, your MGO financial coach, and it is our goal to help you retire with peak confidence. Check us out at peakwm.com slash blog. Bo says the team, the team, the team. Lately, my mantra has been the plan, the plan, the plan. Check out the Trust the Plan podcast. Search out my name, Nick Hopwood, on any platform and give us a follow. You know, we haven't updated this ad in over two years because since the last versions went live... We only had one Big Ten loss, and honestly, I'm a little superstitious. But for this ad, I just want to give a shout-out to all the loyal Wolverines and MGO blog fans who've reached out to us from as far as France, Japan, Seattle, San Francisco, Dallas, Florida, New York, and of course, all over the great state of Michigan. And you guessed it, we're pulling recruits out of Ohio as well, just like Harbaugh. Thank you very much. So no matter where life has taken you after your time in Ann Arbor, we're here to help you build a plan you can trust. If you're looking for a second opinion, visit us at peakwm.com slash mgoblog today. Hey, fellow Michigan fans, this is Matt Demarest, realtor and lender. For a decade now, you've heard me on the podcast talk about mortgages, and I've helped hundreds of fellow Michigan fans in that capacity, including Brian and Seth. But many of you don't know I'm a real estate broker as well. I promise to make buying, selling, or financing homes simple and cost-effective anywhere in the state of Michigan. Whether you're upsizing, downsizing, buying a vacation home, or building a real estate investment portfolio, send me a text or give me a call. It's never too early to make a plan, and the call is always free. My number is 734-882-8194. Again, 734-882-8194. Or you can find me online at realtorandlender.com. That's realtorandlender.com. Whether you want to buy, sell, or finance a home, or even all three, I promise to provide the experience so many of you have come to expect over the years. And as always, thank you, and go blue. NMLS 1011726, Equal Housing Lender.
Welcome back to MGO Podcast. No, MGO Radio 9.14. I have once again forgotten the sponsors. We would like to thank Underground Printing for restarting this and making it possible. Check them out at ugpmissionapparel.com or check out mgoblogstore.com where you can get a hat that says bet. Let's not forget our associate sponsors, Peak Wealth Management, Matt Demers, Realtor and Lender, Human Element, Ann Arbor Elder Law, Michigan Law Grant, The Phil Klein Insurance Group, Venue by Forum, Winewood Organics, Sharon's Heating and Air Conditioning, Signal Wire, where we are live currently, and Tom Brady's new app, Autograph, Rewarding Fans, where you earn rewards for things like reading MGO blog and listening to our podcasts. All right, the Bama defense. So the most Bama part of this defense is the secondary. Both Terry and Arnold. And Kool-Aid McKinstry are cornerbacks headed for the first round of the NFL draft. Everybody knew McKinstry's name going into this year, and I think it's Terry and Arnold who's actually the better cornerback, which is not a shot at McKinstry at all. They're both excellent. Uh, And then their safeties are also great. And compounding that is that they have two very, very good edge rushers. So Michigan's downfield passing game in this straight dropback stuff does not project to be uh, wonderfully successful, Alex? No, it does not. This team is in some ways kind of a souped up Penn State in some of the similarities in terms of their ability to get after the uh, the quarterback and then their, their secondary. Arnold and McKinstry are real good. Um, Arnold's the guy that teams throw at more. Uh, he's defended much more targets than McKinstry has this season. I don't see a major difference between the two. They're just both extremely good players. And then in their uh, in the safety level, you got Caleb Downs, who's a true freshman, five-star, but playing extremely well. Uh, Malachi Moore is their hybrid space player, Nickel, which they call a star. He's real good as well. I mean, if there's any weakness, it's like maybe Jalen Key, the UAB transfer they have as the free safety, but it's still like a relative weakness. There's just not a lot of... Uh, exposed areas to to exploit here and you look at the Georgia game I think Georgia is a fairly good comparison for Michigan because they don't have star receivers they have obviously Bowers at tight end but their wide receiver group isn't particularly special and there just wasn't a lot of separation and and so I don't expect Michigan to get a ton of it because when you watch Alabama's tape these guys have gotten beat at times but they got beat by Malik Neighbors, and they got beat by Xavier Worthy, and they got beat by guys that just Michigan doesn't have at wide receiver. So in lieu of that, I think it's going to be another tight end game and and targeting the linebackers where there are some coverage vulnerabilities because I just don't see Michigan's receivers getting open too often against this group. This is the best secondary in college football to me, certainly the best cornerback tandem. Well, I mean, there is something to be said for the fact that Roma Wilson is likely to run a 4-3-40 at the NFL Combine. So, He's our closest hope, yeah. So there is some possibility. Now, he hasn't been the guy and a guy who rips off a double move and gets open. We tried a couple of those against Ohio State, and it just didn't come off. But when he is running those over routes, like, Bam's going to be in zone a chunk of the time, right? They're not just going to run straight up man-to-man. Because if they do, you know, they could run into some issues with Michigan sort of peripheral guys like Donovan Edwards, um, Colston Lovell and that kind of thing. So I, I do think that there will be opportunities for Michigan's receivers to make some yards, mostly against zone. I mean, so I don't think it's, it's the pattern match thing and they've gone back to the basics this year. So they are really running that pattern match almost every single play. Right. And, so the, but the pattern match stuff can be fooled. Yeah. So, once you there are, are routes you can run that are designed to attack the pattern match where it's like so wide receiver goes vertical i have to go somewhere else and then the wide receiver cuts it off it's there's i've seen this happen oh yeah georgia where, georgia ran lots of stuff the georgia game would have been like a, a the x's and o's guys are still talking about it because georgia had lots right, of ways so, of screwing with them and the guy that they like screwed Michigan, with most is jihad campbell is that middle linebacker well, and that, that goes to sort of the, the weakness of the Bama defense, and that is right up the gut. Mm-hmm. So both of the defensive tackles are just guys, and their linebackers have assets, they have skills, but if you're going to attack this defense, it feels like, I say this every every week, <laughs> you run a lot of play action, <laughs> and you get after those linebackers getting nosy, and you you throw it a ton to A.J. Barner and Colson Loveland. And then finally, this needs to be a Donovan Edwards game, right? 
This needs to be a game where Donovan Edwards makes an impact catching the ball. Because we're talking about how Michigan just doesn't have those guys. Well, they do. His name is Donovan Edwards. He's one of the most athletic players in the country, and this year has been mostly a waste because Michigan has not really used him very much in the ways that he should be used. They've used him as an interior between the tackles runner. I think it's increasingly clear that's not what his skill set really is. So when are we going to get the angle routes? When are we going to get a wheel route? When are we going to get something with Donovan Edwards matched up against a guy who cannot keep up with him? Because that's where I think Michigan has the athletic advantage. I, Donovan do they, Edwards, I Colston Loveland. So, because the one thing that those linebackers have, you know, one's a sophomore, one's a, a redshirt sophomore, but they're both kind of like, you know, they're easy to fool, but they're athletic. And they, you know, they're okay. top one hundred type guys. Like they're, they're the one thing they have is athleticism. But we're talking about guys who are going to be trying to defend both sides of an option route with Donovan Edwards, and I just, I just don't think that's likely to to work out that well for them, mm-hmm. right? Like. I mean, I think the the best way to attack them would probably be like an Edwards slash Quorum or Edwards slash Mulling games, where you have Edwards going out in a route, taking a linebacker out of there. I've been we've been going back on this for back and forth all year. Like, do you throw the ball to Edwards or you, you like use the fact that he that they have to adjust to him because they're going to have a linebacker run out of there with him, and the other linebacker is going to end up with Mullings or Quorum. So, so Campbell is the one guy who grades out decently at Pro Football Focus who gets snaps in their linebacker core as a as a coverage guy. Mm-hmm. The other two guys who get a significant number of snaps are a forty two and a forty nine, and they give up. 75% completions when targeted. So relentless, relentless attacking of the linebackers with play action, with option routes. I mean, you're running your your big dogs deep and hoping that you might get a break there, but then you're going to be making your money underneath. Yeah. I, there's also the possibility that you could get Edwards perhaps matched up on Dallas Turner or Chris Braswell. There's stand-up rushers who we'll talk about in a second in the pass rush phase but there was one game i was watching some tape of and they got a wheel route with braswell running down the sideline on a running back and i was just like (laughs) man i would love to have donovan edwards matched up in that situation so uh when they drop into coverage which isn't too often but that's something that you just love to find a way to to get that on one or two snaps Uh, yeah i mean i would love to go heavy on this team I, cause, like, you talk about hitting them in the middle. Just, I mean, the, the running game, for, sh- for certain, I'd love to have Zinner for this. But, you know, if we could use JJ's legs or have, like, a couple orgy drives, because they're going to leave Jalen Key high. They're going to be playing one man down in the box. Or not in the box, but, like, you know, against the run. So if you add the quarterback to the running game and you can just power them up, plus that takes uh, Malachi Moore off the field, and he is – I, you know, we talk about Arnold and McKinstry, but their nickel is just as good and just really good at reading things. It's really hard to mess with that guy. You take him off the field, take Caleb Downs off the field, and put on a third linebacker. You know, you talked about the heavy position being a, a you know, a matchup for Michigan's offense, for Michigan's, um, sorry, for Michigan's defense, for Michigan's offense versus Alabama's defense. I think our heavy guys are better than the guys that they would put on there. I mean, Michigan's going to have to make. Alabama take more off the field. Mm-hmm. Like, right? So if they go heavy, I don't think that more is coming off the field until Michigan proves that they have to get heavier. And I don't, I mean, to me, watching what Peyton Thorne, <laughs> Peyton Thorne <laughs> did to this defense, watching what uh, Jaden Daniels did to this defense, like, it, it feels like if Michigan wants to win this game, they need to run the quarterback. Yes. And, yep. I think that's true for both teams because we I've neglected to mention this in the in the offense segment, but when when Alabama played Ole Miss, LSU, and Georgia, that was double digit designed runs for Bill Rowe every time. So when the sledding got harder, they dialed up their quarterback ten or more times a game. I think finally this is what Michigan needs to do with JJ McCarthy, because you know he can do it. And then the wild card is, do they have a, pal- a package for Alex Orgy? Because they brought him in a couple of times to run bash, and they, they, can, they can probably try that again, but you know it's on film. You need to have something with him there. And do they have the cojones to have him throw the ball? 
because I feel like the first time he throws the ball, the guy who he throws the ball to is going to be Roy Roundtree. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I think Michigan does a good job of coming into these games with a bit of an underdog man- mentality. You have the uh, the pass from Donovan Edwards in the Ohio State game. You have the orgy package. You have big chunks that were key to Michigan's victory coming from plays that are trick plays. And I think Michigan should continue exploring whatever they have there, especially because when you bring in Alex Orgy, one, I think it's going to be effective. And two, I think you're going to get overreactions because this is a guy who hasn't thrown a ball uh, this year. (laughs) So (laughs) no time like the present. Donovan hadn't thrown a ball this year, and then he did. Yeah, the the quarterback run stuff, a couple of thoughts there. First on your Milrow point, not just did they dial it up against Georgia, they dialed it up when it was time to win the game. Yeah. They went to Milrow to to put that game on ice when they needed to salt the clock away. So that's something to keep in mind. But the J.J. running thing, absolutely. That's my biggest takeaway. If Michigan isn't prepared to run J.J., I don't think they can have nearly the success necessary. Like it's That's been the biggest vulnerability that's popped up repeatedly with this defense. You have to run the quarterback. Not just scrambling, but also design runs. Tennessee, they ran Joe Milton on QB draws a few times, and those were getting 10, 15-yard chunks. Um, and then obviously Auburn, that was their whole strategy. It's QB run, QB run, QB run. Jaden Daniels through the scramble just ripped this defense apart. And that's something that Michigan is going to have to go to, to get yards, to keep them on schedule with design QB runs, but also mitigating the pass rush. Because look, the pass rush is going to get home. It's going to beat Michigan's tackles from time to time. And that's where it helps to have a runner like J.J. McCarthy. We saw that play against Ohio State where he scrambled down the sideline and cut back into the open field and picked up 20-some yards. He's going to need to be ready to do that in this game to keep Michigan's offense going and to nerf some of the areas where Bama presents matchup weaknesses for Michigan. Yeah, and I, I feel like not having Zach Zinner is going to be a, a big deal, but honestly, it might help because I think Trent A. Jones is probably a better pass protector than what we've seen from Carson Barnhart in the back half of the season. So, <laughs> like, there are reasons that Trent A. Jones hasn't been playing, but honestly, I don't know what they are. So, it's, uh, I, I mean, I would love to have Zach Zinner in this game, but I feel I honestly feel better having Trent A. Jones at right tackle. So, there's a silver lining to do that horrific injury. I mean, this doesn't feel like a game where Michigan is going to be putting up 40 points, but I do think that they have some ability to get after weak points in the Alabama defense. My concern is that they just haven't done it all year, right? Like they've been avoiding running JJ. They run way too little play action. They haven't been using Donovan Edwards very effectively. And to me, that's that all is ominous because those are the things that I think are going to be most effective against this team. And it felt like that was something that was already going to be true against an Ohio state, which also had an excellent secondary and had linebackers. You could get after And Michigan did get after those linebackers, but at the same time, they barely ran any play action. So, I mean, I don't know. It's possible Michigan comes out and they've decided that the way to play this game is the way I want them to play it and everything goes well, but I just, I'm a little concerned because philosophically it doesn't seem like they are well positioned to take advantage of what appear to be their uh, advantages over an Alabama defense that has some very, very good players, but also a couple holes. Well, well we should talk time... about the, yeah, go ahead. The, the defensive line while we're at it. I mean, we haven't really talked about those players. Um, to me, the biggest thing that I took away from watching the Georgia game and, and Alabama State in general is how big of a deal staying on schedule is in this game. And I think to some degree, we're going to have an offensive game plan, I think, that will resemble the Detroit Lions of this season in some ways, where the Lions are they're so big on staying on schedule. Like, we got to get to second and six. We got to get to third and three. Because if you get behind schedule, that's when the two pass rushers come on the field. Bama does not play on standard downs with both Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell on the field they play the same position so on standard downs they go with this 290 pound and don brown mega anchor type of guy and then they play with two defensive tackles and then when it gets to third and ten 
third and 12. That's when the two pass rushers both come on the field simultaneously. And I think Michigan's game plan is going to be designed to stay out of those situations and to keep only one of those players on the field. Because when there's only one on the field, you can chip him, you can give help. And I'm not really scared of the defensive tackles getting after you. I'm not really scared of that anchor getting after you in terms of pass rush. They don't have like a ton of organic juice but they do have two NFL pure edge rushers and making sure you play most of your plays with only one of those guys on the field, I think is going to be paramount in this game. Yeah. And just to follow up, they don't have a single uh, defensive tackle who grades out as better than a 67 on pro football focus as a run defender, which is weird for Alabama. Yeah, it is. And they've got players everywhere else, but linebacker and defensive tackle are the weak spots. And Michigan is a team that runs a ton of duo, right? So this is an opportunity for them to get four or five yards, get another four or five yards. And then they start reacting. And it's like, how do you exploit the reaction to that? And the answer to date has been not that well, but you know they've got a long layoff. They know that they're playing Alabama. So I'm hoping that we see them get more aggressive with play action looks and the like so i mean they're they've got to be thinking like last time they were played in the semifinal they got 25 yards per attempt on their play action passes and they only ran six of them so <laughs> yeah and if that's if alabama's putting their noses in the in the box and you have to go after it and you probably have to go after it with colston loveland right like that's your that's your downfield advantage in this game yeah. is him yeah and that's how you take more off the field too. Like you want to talk about getting the matchups that you want. You know, he's he's the one guy that you can kind of oversize in that uh, that secondary because they always get you know six one dudes who can run like Mike Samer still. But like that's that that's the one spot you could possibly get an advantage if you can you know size him up. Then they have to put a linebacker on the field, and then you can kind of do things that you can't do with more on the field. He's just such a smart player. Uh, special teams, their kicker, Will Reichart, is, has been around forever, uh, is excellent. Their punter is averaging 47 yards a kick and has only had 10 returned out of about 50 punts. So you know, they have they did suffer a couple of chunk returns this year, but overall he's uh, one of the best in the country. Their punt return unit has been awful. <laughs> um <laughs> So it was, it was Kool-Aid McKinstry who was doing it for most of the year. He muffed a punt against Kentucky, and then he very strangely like ran by a punt that had landed on the ground and touched it with his knee for a turnover against um, Tennessee. So they started experimenting in their SoCon Classic game against Chattanooga, and then a freshman wide receiver whose name escaped me had the two attempts against Auburn. So they're like 132nd in FEI uh, punt return efficiency because they had a couple of nice returns against Chattanooga, but FEI doesn't do FCS games. They had a couple of good returns in their opener against Middle Tennessee State, and their other 10 punt returns across the uh, season averaged 1.1 yards each. So that plus a series of turnovers and punts that were uh, entirely failed to be fielded at all made it a terrible terrible unit the problem is if mckinstry isn't back there because he's got the yips and it's some other kid then michigan's the problem and not going to benefit from it very much so solid special teams as uh as long as their punt unit does not punt return unit doesn't implode all right predictions alex i think it's going to be a low scoring game i think it's going to be a bit of a slog because both defenses i think have some major assets to slow the other team down but uh, I'll take uh, Michigan 20, Alabama 17. Death. Man, I, I just like Michigan's up front against their uh, against their defensive tackles and their linebackers. I think we can move them around, and I think that's, you know, they're going to run play action. I think that's going to be 30-24. Uh, I mean, I got, I got Michigan 29-22. All right. All right, we're going to take a break, come back, and take a final look back at the Iowa game. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, Certified Financial Planner, Founder and President at Peak Wealth Management. Check us out at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. When you're watching the game, everyone knows what the score is. But you might be at halftime of your career. Do you know what the score is? Are you winning? Or do you need to play catch up? If you're behind in the second half of your career financially, 
we may need to run a hurry-up offense like John Navarre in the 2003 game at Minnesota, or run a three-quarter court press after a made free throw like Coach Howard likes to call. My team of CFPs at Peak Wealth Management are here to help you understand what the score is and what you need to do to win. Your spreadsheet doesn't tell you the score like we can. If you're going to spend all your free time watching replays of the 2021-2022 Ohio State games on repeat, you need to outsource your financial planning and investing with us at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. At Peak, our goal is to help you retire with peak confidence. In southeastern Michigan, the yearly cost for a nursing home averages approximately 100000 It doesn't have to, though. Reed McCarthy founded Ann Arbor Elder Law after handling a tricky situation for his own family. Years of experience later, his boutique firm works with clients across southeast Michigan dealing with Medicaid planning, long-term care, and tax, disability, and family law, not to mention family dynamics. If you have a family member who may need that level of care, or if you're ready to start your own estate plan, Reed can give you a plan for the future. Visit AnnArborElderLaw.com or call 734-945-9693. That's 734-945-9693. Hi, I'm Pete Cavarilla, owner of Sharon's Heating and Air Conditioning. Now that the temperatures are dropping in Michigan, you can count on our vast network of service technicians to keep your heating system up and running. We offer 24-7 emergency service and have advanced scouting on all makes and models. So if you find yourself without heat or hot water or want a free estimate on a new system, call or text us at 734-238-3698 or book an appointment at SharonsHeating.com. The only thing we can be sure of about the future is that it will be absolutely fantastic. I'm thinking of the incredible breakthrough made possible by developments in communications. Arthur C. Clarke's 1964 vision is now reality with SignalWire, a cloud platform that enables developers to build the applications that will reshape the future of communications. These things will make possible a world in which we can be in instant contact with each other wherever we may be. You can add cutting-edge, real-time video and audio to any product, website, or application with APIs and SDKs for developers of all skill sets. SignalWire is optimized for high quality and low latency communication functionality, for video, voice, and text messaging capabilities. Almost any skill could be made independent of distance. Men will no longer commute. They will communicate. See for yourself at SignalWire.com. Use code 2021 and receive $25 in developer credit. Go to SignalWire.com. SignalWire Communications OGs. Original geeks of programmable communication. Welcome back to MGO Radio 9.14. We now take one last look back at the Iowa game. I have not quite uh, completed the UFR, uh, but I'm going to say that there's not going to be a whole lot to say um, because Michigan just put it all in the barn, right? This was a very strange game for a conference championship game because it really felt like Michigan was playing a non-conference game again. And the sort of uh, letdown in terms of yards per attempt in the passing game is almost entirely the product of um, a Colson Loveland drop that would have been a big catch and run a bad throw from McCarthy uh, that was nearly intercepted, and then a steady diet of Michigan just throwing underneath the coverage because they knew that the only way to lose that game was to throw a pick six. So the best way not to throw a pick six against uh, Iowa is to throw it underneath all of their players. And so that's what Michigan did. There was nothing of interest schematically. (laughs) Big 10! Well, I mean, they're up ten nothing, right? And then it's like, okay, game's over. Mm-hmm. Let's just let's just get out of here. And that's I don't know if I've ever seen a Big Ten championship game where that was the case in the first half, where Michigan was just and you know it feels like we talk about this. How many games did they take seriously this year? I think it's two. I think it's Penn State and Ohio State. This was not one of them. Yeah, and you know how they play when they're not taking an opponent seriously. So I mean, Barnhart was fine. Um, at at guard, like he he just plays like he plays. Um, he's not moving people. He's very consistent. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes, but he's just not physically what you want. 
and a guy who's going to go in the NFL draft. I just, and Trente was basically Trente. You couldn't really get a read on the pass protection because Michigan was just getting it out so fast mm-hmm. for the most part. So, I mean, it's really just kind of a big nothing of a game from a offensive perspective. And I can't imagine it was anything else from a defensive perspective. Oh, my God. I was like, am I going to fill any part of this segment? It's Brian Ferentz. It was, I mean, no. There was nothing schematically interesting whatsoever. Um, You know, from an Iowa perspective, it was interesting that they pretty much shelved stretch because they couldn't run it. Um, That was smart. They couldn't run it. But they still tried to run... You know, their counter is a stretch, which Michigan had all over. The one thing that they got us on a couple times was um, screens. And that was mostly with Cam Good in there. And, you know, the way Michigan defends screens, it's really on the nose tackle. It's, you know, either you catch it and backtrack or you try to bat it out of the air. And both times Good was like, I'm not turning around and getting back to there. I'm just going to try to jump in the air and see if I can knock this down. And he was wrong. And so he ended up with a pretty negative score. But... Those are kind of like those, you know, you, you take a risk, you get plus two if you make it, you get minus two if you don't. That that kind of what that was. There were a few run issues from Good and Grant when they got doubled. If you want to try to take anything out of this game. Uh-huh. Um, you know, Iowa kind of went to a bunch of inside zone. They were, they don't have very good offensive linemen. They have fairly big offensive linemen. And Graham, no problem. Jenkins, no problem. Benny, interestingly, no problem. Uh, but when Grant got doubled a couple of times. He got high. Now he still ended up with the same score as Grant as Graham at the end because, you know, when he got in the backfield, he was a terror. Uh, but you know, when you look at like the things that you can take away from this game, uh, Grant is definitely behind Graham as far as how developed he is. How you know, is he going to be in his set? Is he going to use his, get his pad level in the right spot? And you know, if we're playing Alabama. And they like to run a lot of inside zone and they like to run a lot of counter and they like to run, you know, they're a power inside zone team. Um, There is some pushability to Michigan's second group. And if it's happening against Iowa, you sure, of course it's going to happen against Alabama. So I don't know if they try to play Graham more in this game. Um, Maybe Benny is ready to take that next step up Uh, or just, you know, Grant's got another month of practice. Maybe he won't. Uh, you know, he will be a little more expecting doubles and and used to dealing with that. I'm still picking at nits, right? That's double blocking. It's you, you just yeah. want him to win. You just you just want him to like survive that so the linebacker can clean up. And for the most part, they did that. So, um, Jalen Harrell was head of its best pass rushing game, not against you know a Division three left tackle. Uh, I don't know how real that is, but it's been a couple games now where Harrell has been a real pass rush threat, and you know, love to see it. Junior Colson had another great game. That's more of an Iowa thing, so that's where I'm at. Um, you know, everyone's kind of who they are. Mr. Barrett's a star. He played like a star. Samer still's a star. He played like a star. He was fine at cornerback. I don't know if that's meaningful or not, but like he he played cornerback yeah, almost the whole saying, game, so. Let's say no. That's that's what I got. I went through all my notes. All right. We're going to take a break, come back, and look at the other semifinal. Is your online store sluggish, outdated, underperforming? You may be suffering from chronic crappy website disorder. One in three online stores built by your brother's friend's nephew currently suffers from chronic crappy website. But now, there's hope. Introducing Human Element. Huel has helped hundreds suffering from CCW to turn their online stores around, creating fast, secure, and engaging online experiences that turn visitors into customers and put products back at the top of their search engine game. Before Huel, I had abandoned carts, browser errors, and poorly animated GIFs. Now, with Huel, I can focus on what I'm actually good at, running my business. Jeffrey, would you be a deer and pull the Ferrari around? Side effects may include increased traffic, customer conversions, better ROI, compliments, elation, and early retirement. Why live with the disappointment of chronic crappy website disorder? Speak to your human element consultant today to see if Huel is right for you. Winewood Organics is Ann Arbor's only cannabis microbusiness for adults 21 and older. 
They're a grower, processing lab, and dispensary rolled into one, cultivating and producing flour, old-school hash, edibles, CBD products, and more. You can find them across the street from Kroger on South Maple, just west of downtown, and at WinewoodOrganics.com. Veterans and MedCard holders save 10% on all orders, and first-time customers save 25%, as long as you're not wearing scarlet and gray. Here's the thing people say. Seth, tell me about your insurance. I'm actually glad you asked me about that because I just changed my insurance and I'm really happy I did. Let me guess. You use Phil Klein and Owen Rosen of the Phil Klein Insurance Group. They are MGO blog readers and they don't advertise during football games. And they've got a five-star rating on anything you would care to see. Call Owen at 248-682-7445 or visit them online at philkleininsurance.com. I can't believe I'm doing this. If you find yourself in the penalty box, you want a Michigan man arguing your case, call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul tonight. It's 248 and 924 or visit his old website at michiganlawgrad.com. Maze and Blue Nation, it's Tom Brady. I co-founded Autograph with one mission in mind. Change the fan experience for the better. That's why I'm excited to announce the release of a new app that recognizes the biggest Michigan fans. The Autograph Fandom app gives you access to the best Michigan content, fan challenges, and exclusive rewards for diehard Wolverines. All for doing the things you already do, like listening to this podcast. Head over to the Apple App Store and search for Autograph Rewarding Fans and download today. Welcome back to MGO Radio 9.13.14. Thanks to Cracked and Hooked for the music on today's show. We're taking a, a brief look at the Washington-Texas game, which should be fascinating. Um, from a Michigan perspective, I I would like Washington to win, I think. Yes. I'm not sure. <laughs> yes. Yes. I don't I want mean, Xavier Worthy. He's, well, he's going to be it's back. Not just, like, it's not that. It's that Texas has what looks like the best possible defense to go up against Michigan. Is in tackles? Which had, yes, because they have yeah. the two best defensive tackles possibly in the country. Yeah. So that – I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> I will I will take Roma Dunze going up against Josh Wallace, et cetera. Um, and also this Washington team is a team that has really struggled down the stretch. Um, you know, they did beat Washington – they did beat Oregon for the second time uh to to make it here but you know, after the first Oregon game they kind of went into uh I wouldn't say a nosedive but they looked a little bit like a Big 10 West team for a chunk of the season. Mm. I mean they're they're a little bit of a Michigan where like they play down to their opponents or they they don't I don't stop doing interesting things being uh behind against Arizona State deep into that game. Mm, yeah. Like, there's there's Michigan toying with their food, and then there's uh, the what Washington did in the back half of the season. So, I mean, it feels like Washington is very very talented on one side of the ball, and Texas is very very talented on both sides of the ball. Yeah, Alex, you have any thoughts here? Yeah, I haven't looked at this matchup as nearly as much as Alabama Michigan, but. I don't know. This is an interesting game to me because I really love Kalen DeBoer as a big game coach. Like he comes ready to play, and I'm I'm I trust him more to be prepared for this game than Steve Sarkeesian. But I did think that Sark had some good stuff uh, ready for uh, the Oklahoma State Big Twelve Championship game. On paper, I think Texas is the better team. I think their defense uh, is better, and I think they're. The weapons they have are really underrated compared to Washington's. I mean, not just Worthy, but Adonai Mitchell's had a great season for them. Jatavian Sanders is a really good tight end. And Ewers is a fine quarterback as well. I think that they can come close to matching Washington in the weapons department, and I think their defense is better. So I expect Texas to win, but I don't know. A lot of people counted Washington out going into that Pac-12 title game. The spread was crazy large in that game. And Washington was just the better team than Oregon in that one. So 
I don't know. Maybe they're a team that rises to the occasion. I think their coach certainly has good game plans ready. And if Michael Penix plays his best game, this could get real interesting. Yeah, so the two stars of the Washington defense, according to Pro Football Focus, are one of their linebackers and an edge. So uh, we, we've seen that linebacker players. before, Ulafoscio. He's the he was the guy who was all over Michigan when we were playing them twenty twenty one. So he's yeah. yeah he's been around. And the Texas defense is like mostly you know okay players, and then they have two guys in the nineties at defensive tackle. So. <laughs> It's just like, can Washington beat this team? Yes, because the defensive tackles aren't going to be that relevant. Would I like Washington to beat this team? Yes, because they the defensive tackles would be extremely relevant against Michigan. So, I mean, I think Washington has a better offense than Texas overall. It, Texas has some some pieces, but Ewers isn't Penix. He's he's quite good, but he's not Penix. You know. Yeah. Well, part of Kalen DeBoer being a big game coach is Penix is a big game quarterback. Yeah, we've we've seen him before against Big Ten teams that are good and Big Ten teams that are not good, and there's there's been a difference. And I, you know, he's he's the kind of guy you talk about this every year. The playoff, you know, you need a quarterback who's just going to go out and win the game for you. And you know, Michigan, we've been talking about how we need JJ's legs and JJ to kind of you know do some things against Alabama to make up for the fact that they have so much talent out there, and you know. Between the two of them, I know that Ewers was the you know number one overall recruit in his class, but he moved up a class. He's kind of bounced around. They keep things kind of simple for him. He is going to get Xavier Worthy back, so they're going to be better than they were kind of at the tail end of the season. Uh, but you know, and they're a team that beat Alabama already with uh, when they were at full strength. I like I, I'm in the same position. But I just think that Penix kind of has that big game ability to kind of go out there and. Do things that Ewers is not going to do. Yeah. I mean, I I don't really have a good read on, on this game because there's no common opponents. There's no, like, there's very little overlap between these two conferences and the non-conference. It, it's just uh, very difficult to, yeah. uh, but I well, think Penix is going to have time because his offensive line can protect. And the if the defensive tackles aren't, really being a huge factor in the game. I mean, I think Washington's going to win this game. Yeah, the, uh, the best reference point for this game is these two teams played in the bowl game last year. Yes. Uh, okay. they, played that in, was... uh, <laughs> they played the 2022 Alamo Bowl, and it was a really close game. Uh, Washington won by seven. A total yardage was was pretty close. So uh, these two teams know each other. Also, yeah. the Steve Sarkeesian Bowl. He, put, he coached Washington once upon a time. So uh, some narratives here to have some fun with. Well, one of the narratives that's been going with Texas this year is every time they've played a team that they lost to last year, they blew them out. So this is like the last piece of the revenge tour from their five-loss season last year. Oh, I don't, I don't uh, think they're going to blow out Washington. That doesn't seem likely. Yeah. Um, and Ian Boyd, you know, he's our friend. And he's I've been asking him what's going on with Texas. And, you know, his, his take is that they're going to destroy Washington. He thinks that the Pac-12 – looked really good at the beginning of the season and was kind of not, it was kind of like a big 10 and was treated like they were better because they won some early games. And that, you know, this is, he feels like it's, this is their year. And obviously we feel the same way about Michigan, but um, you know, there, there is a, there is a feel to this Texas team that they can outsark their year. He's got all this talent. They've really kind of, I, that's coming from a, a, you know, he's a Texas homer, obviously, but he's a smart Texas homer who knows the games. And is, he, he thinks that they've been, people have been sleeping on Texas all year. He was um, not surprised that they were uh, in the playoffs at the end of the end of the season. He, last year, they're coming off a seven, five team. Like, and he was telling me that these guys are going to be in the playoff this year. I can't believe you left them out. So, I that well, they were, take it for what it's worth. They were a very unlucky seven and five last year. They lost a lot of close games, and so this has kind of been the fulfillment of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, should be an excellent pair of games to almost wrap up the season. Hopefully, Michigan can uh, get to the final this time, even though obviously they have no chance against Bama. <laughs> I mean, we all we're, listen who, to Bert. Bert says we have no chance, so let's let's just leave it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, 
I, I, I just feel too, I feel way too confident for a game against Alabama. I don't know why I'm more really confident about this one Ohio State game. I feel super confident, but I do feel like Michigan is being treated like uh, an afterthought here, which is kind of weird since they are the number one team in the country right now. Yeah. <laughs> just like, oh, that doesn't mean anything. All right. All right. See you guys. Boris is a mayor and a land surveyor with plans of his own. He hates Aruska, he hates a vodka bandit from his home. He hates Aruska, Aruska, vodka, vodka. He never drank a single drop.